0: This week's episode is brought to you by Red Obera, everyone. Red Obera. Now it's our turn to, uh, sorry for the words, but put our balls on the table. How do you like Bob Gilmore? <laughs> Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph Falsh, director of to the Mile High Hockey Podcast for November 16th, 2015. Coming up on the show, the Avalanche opened the floodgates of pain on the Eastern Conference in more ways than one. And then they make a waiver claim, but before we play the whoosh, let's meet our disembodied voices of the week. Joining again from BSN is Andy DeRoe. Hello, Andy.
1: Hello. I have Queso, and I'm pretty excited about that today, so it's going to be a good podcast.
0: And finally, we've got him, the new MHH bench boss. Say hello to Ryan Murphy. Howdy, everybody. I'm glad to be here. It's my maiden voyage, so go easy. The ass went to my- Montreal without Gabe Landeskog. Find out why next. That's, that's what I call a throw. It's a segue or a thing like that. I don't know. We're trying a new thing. Okay. I like, feel like we could use a thing. Like a teaser thing. It doesn't work, but we're going to do it anyway. On Tuesday, Colorado opened up their dreaded seven-game road stretch in Philadelphia and put a beating on a bad team, for nothing. Two goals and an assist from Matt Duchesne. Jerome McGinley put one in himself, and Cody McLeod finishes off the scoring on the power play. Red O'Bara earns a shutout on this one, but only had to face 25 shots to do it, and this was really the perfect game to start this road trip. Trip. Road ch- See so You and your nachos got me saying road trip here.
1: <laughs> it's
0: queso. <laughs> um, <laughs> on the road queso, as Colorado got ahead early kept control of the game, dominated possession, got the saves they needed. And when Philly decided to be Philly and make the game get stupid, the ass wanted nothing to do with it. Here's looking at you, Gudis. <laughs> I, I just want to say that Againla's goal was one of the worst goals I've seen in a while.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was awful, but that's why it's so great. Because earlier in the year, there's no way in heck he would have put that on net. He would have held on to it waited for everybody else to get into the zone, passed it to somebody else, passed it to somebody else, and probably would have resulted in a turnover before they actually fired a shot on net because that's just how the Avs decided to roll at the beginning of the year. So the fact that he's like, no, you know what? I'm just going to shoot at the goalie and see what happens. And it worked, I think, really in some ways set the tone for – This entire road trip, just kind of a big confidence boost. That hey, when you shoot the puck, sometimes the puck goes in, and that's something that hasn't been happening for the team very much before this.
2: So we've uh, been clamoring for it all year. I mean, every fan, everybody that's been watching the team has been asking the team to take lower percentage shots. Just take them, (laughs) and now that they have, now you see Matthew Shane taking shots like that. They are going in every once in a while.
0: Sometimes they go in. Sometimes they don't, and it generates a rebound. And then you get a better shot, and sometimes it goes in.
2: You know, I've been making that point on the internet. I think sometimes the best pass is a shot at the goalie off the pads. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you listen to WA, I do the WA recap, um, the WA report on BSN every Wednesday around lunch-ish time. And (laughs) in this last week's uh, episode... You know, he made that point that it it doesn't have to be a perfect shot for it to go in. And over the past couple of weeks, you've heard him stressing this and repeating it. So it is the polar opposite from his shot selection uh, stuff from his first year here. Um,
0: stuff. Yeah. Stuff. That's a that's uh, the right uh, word for it.
2: So do you guys I, think they're changing the narrative a little bit? You know, do you think uh, they've adjusted since the offseason into not a shot selection team?
1: Well, I think what happened is I had a whole write-up on this. I think shot selection actually worked in 13-14. I I don't think it was all just luck. And, no, I don't really have numbers to back this up. But I think that last year um, the team became so afraid of shooting anything that they just weren't shooting anymore. And the whole idea of getting a good shot is that you take the shot when it's presented to you instead of passing on these high opportunity chances. So I think that it's just a matter of the pendulum needs to swing back the other way for the abs to be successful. And, uh, it, it just wasn't happening earlier in the year. The team was still terrified to shoot. So now you're hearing moi say, you know, go to the net. Just get things on net, you know, drive to the net, be around the net, and shoot the puck. And I think um, for Duchesne especially, it has really improved his game over the beginning of the year. Yeah, a lot of that is... Duchy wasn't going to shoot at like 2% for the entire season. But, um, I, I really think that he's doing a better job putting himself in a position to where he is shooting the puck and is in a better spot on the ice when he's doing it. So I don't know. I think that Wa would still like to do the shot selection because it, it makes sense to him as a goalie, but, um, I think that he is looking at what's actually happening on the ice and figuring out what his team needs to hear to be successful and play good hockey. And right now I think shot selection is not what they need to hear. I think they need to hear get pucks on net and they've been doing that the past three games and it's worked pretty well.
0: I think a part of the issue with the whole shot selection idea is like, we remember that Wa brings this idea from Junior, um, where he was a coach in Quebec for the in the QMJHL for several successful seasons, and you come to the NHL and you remember that defenses are good, as opposed to you know Junior and especially the Q, where defenses screw up regularly. So it's it has to have been kind of a mindset shift for him over the last couple of seasons as well, kind of going from hey when there's a good shot you take it to, hey, we have to make good shots happen.
1: Right. And I think that a lot of what's happening with the abs, too, is even when they were getting the puck moving around the zone, you see it especially, I even saw it last night with the abs top line. They try to cycle it in the zone, and even when they are presented with a really good shooting opportunity, they don't take it. They keep passing instead of getting the puck on the net. So... Again, shot selection means nothing if you aren't taking the good shots that are presented to you. And uh, they just need to be broken of that pass-first mindset that they've been in for the past while.
0: Um,
1: So I think that's more than anything, breaking them of the pass-first mindset.
0: Well, they certainly outshot the hell out of Philly. And then on Thursday, the Avs took a short trip to Boston, and after a nightmare start that saw them fall behind 2-0 in six minutes, came back to tie it on goals from Carl Soderberg and Francois Beauchemin, followed finally in the third by Matt Duchesne's game winner. And we've begun seeing the nines line at this point in the week. Landis McKinnon, and Duchesne all stacked up together, and it really paid dividends while it lasted? Unfortunately, Gabe Landeskog popped Brad Marchand from the blind side as Marchand admired his shot and took a match penalty for it. And it was called a check to the head. Maybe it wasn't the initial point of contact, but it was ruled the main point of contact, which is different, and he's gone for two games. Um, I don't really want to talk about that suspension a whole lot. The internet has had its way with it. Um, yeah, agree. I Agree, yes or no? We'll just leave it at that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree with the suspension. Um, I don't agree with the consistency of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or the lack of consistency. I, I think it's maddening to watch some of the hits that have been ruled on in past weeks and see that ruled on uh, in such a way. It's, two games is probably the right number, but there's been a lot of players making that hit that have not been suspended for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Even so, I mean, Gabe Landis this is his what, fifth season? I mm-hmm. mean...
0: He's been fined he, once.
1: Yeah, he's he's the captain, and, you know, he's not some rookie anymore. He should know better. Yeah, this is part of his game, and making big hits is part of his game, but um, a lot of the onus still falls to him to not do stuff like that, not make questionable hits. If that means pulling up from some hits that would end up clean if he had decided to go through with them, then, yeah, that's just something we're going to have to live with. But even with the Department of Player Safety questionable track record, I mean, you can't be putting the team in a position where you might be suspended, especially when your line is clicking like it is. I'm pretty peeved at Landy for that. Um, so it kind of I,
2: falls into the category of all the penalties he's been taking this season too, which oh yeah. I think yeah. all of us feel that could be cut back on a lot.
0: Definitely. Um, but I mean, it's just, it was the, the angle of the hit as the, as the, uh, as the video showed. Um, but I, I was a little like, oh, he's going to get a suspension because that's a hit he has to pass up on and not take out from that angle. Before I saw the player safety video actually say specifically that. So, I mean, I, I don't disagree with it too much either. Just because the other rulings are being wrong doesn't mean this one has to be wrong too. I
2: right. think that's correct. Overall, I think the NHL is getting this play right, and I think they're getting it right for everybody. The fans want to see the best players on the ice. They don't want to see them injured. They don't want to see them out for a long time with concussions. Um, I think it's the right move for the NHL to step forward in this direction.
0: But there is a happy ending because Brad Marchand did get fined the maximum, allowed amount for his punch to the face. Which, when was the last time you saw a punch in the face get fined?
1: Yeah, but that was like the mother of all sucker punches. If you're going to do it, you might as well just do it really, really well. And, I mean, Marshawn got at least a lot of bang for
0: his buck on that one. Yeah, he definitely got his money's (laughs) worth out of that one. And Landis has been playing through some minor injuries this season. The team has admitted that. Hopefully a couple of days off will do him some good. And as for his line... Enter Mikhail Grigorenko. On Saturday, the Avs partied like it was 2009 and beat Montreal 6-1 despite a 40-24 to shot deficit. Grigori- Grigorenko shot it in with McKinnon and Duchesne, and I speak for a few of us when I say finally. Um, I know that Mars Volchenkov has been screaming for... Grigorin go play with Dushane all all season and that's kind of what I was looking for myself as well and as a result he had a goal and two assists McKinnon had two filthy goals and an assist and Dushane had two assists plus a goal on the power play getting his own rebound so everybody gets three points three points all around (laughs) that line was consistently magic uh, in in a game that had not a whole lot of magic happening apart from the goaltending from Montreal thank you very much and it may free up the Avalanche to play Landis Gogh with Soderberg again, though, when he's back from suspension, if they click as well in Toronto as they did in Montreal. And yeah, that Habs had a ripe ass in, in, in goal for basically the whole game, but at least in that first period, it did look more to me like McKinnon's line making the defense make sloppy mistakes and taking advantage more than just bad goaltending. And then there's Como's appallingly bad shorthanded goal, well done there. And then there was John Mitchell's tap into an open net, and that's all she wrote. And Red O'Bara made 39 saves, is all. No big deal.
1: Yeah. I am loving the fact that Red O'Bara doesn't make me want to crawl under my bed and watch the game through cracks in my fingertips um, anymore. Because past couple seasons, that's, that's pretty much been, oh god, O'Bara's going in, here we go, okay... So, I mean, good for him. Absolutely good for him. Um, He's finally making that trade look like the right move. Um, I don't know how much of it is just his hard work, how much of it is, you know, he's playing with confidence and getting lucky, how much of it is the Avs' new defensive system. I don't know, but it's nice to see. And uh, good for him. He had an outstanding game last night. Made some really good saves. He made a glove save where he like reached behind him and shook out the puck afterwards. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you do that,
2: Retto. <laughs> um, yep. So See, I, I called for it in the you know before the season, if the Avalanche were to be successful at all, they needed good backup goaltending. And right now we're seeing backup goaltending that we haven't seen since 2013, and uh, it's probably a big reason the team is succeeding in the past week or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting Jaguar goaltending right now. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I don't even know how much of it... I mean, obviously, Red O'Bear is not going to have an even strength-save percentage in the vicinity of 980 for the long term. No. <laughs> no. But no. he's... You watch him play, and he's not... It's not like he's just getting overly lucky. He's not, like, leaving the net wide open and seeing... Shots go wide like we were seeing from Varley earlier in the year. Um, you're not seeing, you know, ridiculous recovery saves because he's gotten himself out of position and it's flailing back across the net. You're not seeing, like, just low percentage stuff like that. You're seeing him in position to make the saves, tracking the puck through traffic, locking the post down. You're seeing him do his job and do it well. Is it well, is it better than he can sustainably do it? Yeah, probably so. He's not going to have a 980 even strength at the end of the year. But it this looks, to my eye, like a different Red O'Bear than we've seen before.
1: Well, I think when you said Jaguar goaltending, there is something to be said there because he does play a style that is a little bit closer to Jaguar, that is a little bit closer to the Allaire mindset in general of that... You are just in really good position, and you track the puck really well. You don't have to make huge athletic saves. You just be where you need to be at all times. And I think that that's huge for him. Retovera has always just been a head case. I'm not a goalie expert by any means, but from what I've seen is that when he gets down on himself and starts doubting himself – It all just ends right there. He's not going to have a good stretch of games, and it's just going to keep rolling and rolling as his bad confidence leads to more bad confidence. Right now, he is playing with confidence. He is getting to where he needs to be. He believes that he's going to make the saves, and his size and talent and coaching is finally starting to take over and beat out all of those negative voices going on in his head so i i think that he's always had this in him but he's been his own worst enemy and now he's finally just gotten out of his way and is playing good goaltending that that's my hot take of
0: the day well what is it like 50 percent of the game is mental and the other half is in your head yeah, something like that. But I mean, we'll remember in the middle of last season when Pickard was up having the ridiculous run that he had. Um, <clears throat> Patrick Waugh would mention on the fan that he wasn't super happy with Barra's work ethic. I mean, the the way that it sounded was almost like Barra had struggled and struggled and struggled and gotten depressed about it. And if it is that much confidence, I mean, he and he is playing with confidence. He's you know coming out of his crease and playing the puck to guys even i mean the Sportsnet feed was a little bit uh bringing out the microscope on him a couple of times last night to be like oh was that in the trapezoid well no one cares about the trapezoid (laughs) go away yeah pretty much pretty much um i love the fact that he plays the puck i
2: think that's his biggest advantage over varlamov (coughs) he will actually play the puck and i think it's a big advantage to the defense
0: Without a doubt, um, because Varley's puck skills are... Horrendous. <laughs> he, he has stay-in-your-net-wall syndrome, like, bad. Yep.
1: hmm Well, I mean, as an Avs fan, I'm just used to Varley at this point. So whenever I see a goalie going out to play the puck, it's like, What are you
0: doing? no, <laughs> like, no, 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 stay in your home. Stay in your home. And go, then he actually back. catches the I, puck,
2: I, and I, then he actually makes a play with it, gets around the boards. I, I think yeah. it helps people out that can't check, or, you know, get to the puck. It helps a Nate Gannon that doesn't like skating around behind the net that much, you know, yeah, it I, helps I agree. The entire defense.
1: He, he's been really good about it. He definitely has better skills at it than Varley, but I, I'm still wrapping my little as fan head around the fact that goaltender touching puck does not automatically equal. Oh my God, what is going on? This is not
0: okay. Right. We still are seeing Bears' shortcomings um, when he does have to make the big athletic save. It's something that he has the physical tools to do, but it isn't necessarily making it happen very regularly. We see that be a factor on the power play, um, and we see that be, or on the penalty kill, rather, I should say. And we see that be a factor um, when uh, things happen like Ben Street. Saying I don't really want to cover anybody after I ice the puck, and Tyson Berry saying I'm going to cover this post, and <laughs> Brendan Gallagher all alone in front, and Barris just like guys, <laughs> guys. So, yep. uh, but before we get to Ben Street, um, how are you two on Grigorenko on the top line? Yes. Yes.
2: I like his hands. I like his pass-first mentality with those two guys shooting pucks. I think it's a big benefit for both McKinnon and Duchesne. Um, I could get used to it. I'd like to see another game. So uh, let's increase the sample size a little bit before I'm final on that. But so far, so good.
1: I agree. I I really like what he brings with those two. And if you're talking about giving them all of the offensive zone starts, and I think that's exactly what Watt has been doing the past couple games. Um, having him there instead of someone like Landis Cog probably benefits the team. Not only his playing style, but the fact that Landy can do two-way a little bit better than Grigorenko at this point. Um, I think he meshes really, really well with Land- with um, Duchy and Mac. And I think that it also protects some of his defensive shortcomings as he's still learning the game and learning all of that. Um, so I, I really like him there. Um, yeah. One more game would be nice. I think that he was given an opportunity and he has made the most of it. And I, why would be crazy to take him off right now after that showing I, uh, he definitely earned his spot in the top six, at least for a little while longer. So he's uh, taken a big step in cementing himself as one of the top forwards on this team.
0: I just think it's interesting that you mentioned defense specifically because he spent his limited ice time in the NHL this year, like ostensibly at least, working on his defensive game. That was supposed to be why he's playing bottom six, is to get better at defense. So, um, so now his role is going to be all the offensive zone starts, set up McKinnon, put home the trash.
1: Well, I mean, I think that's in a way good. I agree with him working on his defense, but if you're putting him in a top six role against the best in the NHL, the best in the world, you don't want Grigorenko playing that much defense right now, if you can help it. Um, I think that it's something he'll work on. I think he'll get better at it as he matures his game in general. But if you can have him scoring goals right now, I think that's where he is the biggest benefit to the team.
0: I, I would agree with that, and I would really rather him not have to skate all the way up and down the rink because while he does... Like, he's an agile skater. He's really not the fastest. So... Playing in one zone or the other is probably a good use of his hands. I mean, he's not a bad defender. He's really not. But if he has to back check, he's not going to make it.
2: Probably. You know, I, I want to comment on usage as well. And I think one trend we've seen, at least on this road trip in the past couple weeks here, is a lot more even usage. I think Waz deploying lines in multiple situations where, as that was more lopsided, I think, uh, early in the year. I mean, if you're looking at the matchups from last night, I mean it's very even everybody's getting very even ice time uh with the one exception being boshman and johnson getting the top line but uh i think everybody's more rested i think there's less pressure on one line to perform in specific situations and i think it's helping the team
1: i think that there's a benefit to having a very clear offensive line like we do right now with that Duchesne and mckinnon explosion of offense um It does kind of limit the rest of the team in some ways, but it also balances out the responsibilities across the other three lines. You know, they're expected to all play pretty good defense, all pitch in a little bit with depth scoring. Um, So, I mean, it's it's a good setup for right now. I am concerned that at some point we're going to hit a team that figures out how to shut down that top line. And what happens then? Um I don't know. Because um even when Landis Cog comes back if he's put with uh Iginla and Soderberg on the second line, that's that's a pretty good second line, but can they provide offense, enough offense if for some reason the top line is shut down? That is my biggest concern with the team and the way that it's set up right now. I'm loving watching that first line and I love it when they keep scoring, but uh, that's the only downside I can see to WA's current usage.
0: That Whether that line can contribute offensively is going to depend on where they play, I think partially. Um, because, I mean, we know that Againla's defensive zone play has really not been there this year. Um. This this podcast has been over, over, under, around all through that, all season long. Um, Landeskog is struggling in that area this year. Um, that could be injury related. We don't know what the injury is, um, but that's something that Soderberg is not bad at. He's well. I mean, apart from the first period last night, he was pretty bad at it. But he's in the right place at least. He was just not doing the right thing with the puck. Um. But he and Landeskog both are able to send the puck in the right direction. And Soderberg is not a shooter, really, as we've seen. He's taken a few shots lately, but he's much more likely to pass it up for a pass. And then you've got Landeskog and Law on either wing. That's a couple of cannons. That works for yeah. me. Yep. Totally I mean, agree. Okay. I
2: like Como there right now. I think that's fine. But I think Landeskog there is fairly ideal. I think that's a good line if he cops on it.
1: I agree. Um, But again, it's if you're giving a ton of offensive zone starts to the top line, is that second line going to be able to handle starting in the defensive zone and still contributing to offense? So it'll be interesting to see. I think that that's pretty much the ideal setup right now, especially when Landis Cog gets back from his suspension. So I'm – I'm curious to see what happens there.
2: Me too. I think uh, the success of the second line is probably contingent on the third line, being able to take the defensive starts like they have been. Uh, they've been a little hit or miss, I think, at this point. But if you can get John Mitchell's line to take more defensive zone starts and succeed at him, I think that helps the entire team as well.
0: Right, and especially if you can swap out Everberg for Como on that line once Landis Cox back, I think that helps the entire team dramatically. Um, I like Everberg. I don't like him as an offensive player. I like him as a guy who breaks out of the zone and moves the puck in the direction it needs to go and then gets off the ice.
2: Yep.
0: Um, yep. But when, once you add Como to that line, then you've got three players who could, who all of them are defensively responsible. And between uh, Como Mitchell and skilly at any time, any of them could break out and suddenly have a, you know, two on one scoring chance.
2: As we saw last night, uh Skilly had that not once but twice, didn't
0: he? Yeah, and Everberg got one himself and then got himself kinda into the corner and Markov just sealed them off beautifully. But I mean it was Everberg. Yep. Yeah, we, well, we um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah.
1: Skilly's yeah. breakaway. Um there was a little bit of a miscommunication there in the first between two of the Canadians defensemen. And uh Skilly came up with the puck and uh um, sorry, there was a weird feedback noise. Um,
0: that was Yakity sacks That was not feedback.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, yes. Um, and Skilly came up with the puck. He went down. He got a shot on net. And uh, the the goalie covered it, but... That ensuing faceoff is where McKinnon got his first goal, which led to his second goal. So um, I did the recap last night, and I actually put Skilly's breakaway as the turning point of the game. And I think that's exactly what he brings and what that third line needs to bring is taking the defensive zone starts, getting the puck, getting it down, and allowing our top line to come on the ice. Um, I think that that's... Yeah, it's it's the ideal setup. It's what this team needs to do if they're going to be successful. Um, so I was uh, very, very pleased with how that happened last night. I think it's one of the underrated things that's going right for the team right now that wasn't in the beginning of the year.
0: Well, we look at the week um, in terms of underlying numbers. We see, obviously, Colorado – Definitely kind of benefited from the percentages against Montreal. Um, They owned possession against Philadelphia. They owned possession against Boston. Now, Philadelphia is pretty bad. Boston is not that bad. They're not great, but they're all right. They went to Montreal and they got smushed um, with a caveat that a lot of those shots came from, you know, outside, high, high. Uh, Dump ins that Red O'Bara handled. They got counted as shots. Um, I think there's a lot of salt to take. Um, this particularly the possession numbers against Montreal with, because th- so much of it was low danger. So much of it was Red O'Bara puts the puck into a good spot. After he makes the save, he puts it in the corner. You know, he's that that kind of finish goaltending school idea of when you make the shot, you put it someplace safe. Now the problem mm-hmm. with that is it's kind of the opposite of what we were just saying about shot selection. Is low danger shots turn into high danger shots? It's not something that you can do long term and rely on. But on Saturday it worked.
2: It did. It's essential. Twenty thirteen game. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that the abs are getting better. At- as an offensive team, of thinking pucks on net. But I think defensively, they are still really trying to concentrate on getting shots to the outside and blocking a lot of shots this year, which I have some issues with, but um, that is what they seem to want to do. Uh, but last night, if you look at these scoring chances, uh, War on Ice has a, a tally that they – a formula that – do, and they were actually pretty close uh, the biggest problem was Colorado forgot how to shoot in the second period but apart from that um, even though Montreal got a ton of extra shots they were pretty low danger they were easy for bear to handle um, and I think that is what Wah is preaching defensively to a T. Uh the team played their system last night and it worked uh, how sustainable it is long-term. Well, that can be argued, and that has been argued, and that will continue to be argued. But uh, last night, it definitely worked.
2: Yeah, and I think part of that was a function of the score, at least in the second period. After the Abs got up 3 nothing, they certainly changed their strategy defensively. Uh, I mean, they started to dabble in the trap a little bit more, as we've seen, and they started chipping everything out. And, you know... Forfeiting possession just to get a line change in and you know what they stayed pretty fresh and kept all the pucks out of the net I mean it worked (laughs) last night
1: Well, also you look at what Montreal did after the first uh, Grigorinko goal is that they came down and they just started shooting Everything so a lot of I think the final score uh, You know shot scores uh, had to do with score effects Um, I think that that's definitely an aspect that was at play last night, but, uh, I don't think it's all of it. I think the yeah, Avs, not. Is, no. The, the abs really don't care that much about outside shots. They're very okay with them. Um, and again, that's was system and debatable, of course. Uh, and will continue to be debated. I am sure
0: you can hate it as much as I do. But you still have to say last night it worked. And it did. It did its job. Red O'Bara faced some, uh, like, how many was it at even strength? It wasn't 30, I don't think. It was close. Maybe it was around 30. 32 shots forward, it looks like. 30, 32 shots, even strength. And uh, I want to think that 19 of them, 18 or 19 of them, were low danger. So, it did its job. It's fine. i yeah, Avs
2: got 17 blocks again last night on those shots, and 11 of those missed the net. So.
0: Of course, we do have to be careful with, with numbers like this because it's tracked by NHL scorers who have a lot they're trying to keep track of, and the locations are not often accurate. As you can see by the, the plot <clears throat> on where on ice and where the shots came from, you see four avalanche goals from basically the same spot, which we know isn't what happened. <laughs> Two of them were. Duchesne was on the other side of the net and Mitchell was in the slot.
2: It'll be interesting to see if that improves in coming years with the MLB advanced media get involved here. I wonder if these are tracked more by computer going forward.
0: Yeah. And the, the traffic in front of the shots are going to be measured as well. I hope.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I hope they measure. Um, Even if they just did time of possession or time in each zone,
0: that
2: would be, Wonderful.
0: They used to. That's the problem. They used to do zone time and then they just quit.
2: Yeah. When did that disappear? disappear.
0: It was a few years back. It was like right before Corsi happened. Right. Yeah. Um,
2: I
1: think that that would be really fascinating, especially for the Avs, because for a lot of their, you know, time under Patrick Waugh. There has been this mentality of you get the puck into the zone and you hold on to it without taking a shot, which undermines everything Corsi says about everything. Um, the entire point of Corsi is that most NHL teams shoot at a similar rate, and if a team is purposely not shooting, it's going to throw things. Um So yeah, the Avs' courtesy is terrible, and the Avs' possession is terrible, and it's not all because of this. But a a good question to ask is how much is that a result of the system the team is trying to play? So it would be wonderful if somebody, anybody, would track that just to see how well, for the Avs, it lines up.
0: I think that that's coming in the near future, and I think that is one of GenLC's projects, is tracking useful possession, which is how basically shot attempts or even scoring chances per zone minute.
1: Well, and I think that the NHL actually is still tracking it because um, I went back and NHL NHL Network, uh, before the last season... They had a season preview recapping what happened in thirteen fourteen, And they actually had a list of teams by offensive zone time. They I, have in the top five. So I think that those numbers are somewhere. I think that teams have access to them, but general public don't.
0: I don't trust those, specifically that number for a second. I think that a lot of that number had to do with it pro- probably being all situations, um I think because, because I mean that as long as Patrick Wall has been here, we've had a passing play, right? That's gonna give you a lot of zone time.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and I don't I don't remember those numbers specifically being set as five on five, and I have just been trained so hard to never trust numbers in a black box because you don't know where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean if you look at There's a lot of articles going on right now looking at the new advanced stats on NHL.com and how far off they are from War on Ice and all these other advanced stats sites that are all pretty close to each other.
0: And are taking them directly from the NHL scoring play-by-play sheets or ship charts, one or the other.
1: Right. So it's just very interesting to see how far off the NHL's numbers are. And you also have to take into account that, like you said earlier, even the NHL score charts and everything, it's tracked by human beings sitting in an arena watching the game and trying to figure out okay, was that a shot? Was that not a shot? And, you know, usually they live in the city where they're tracking the puck and. It, it does affect, you know, the home versus road team. They're probably going to mark more shots for the home team. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of subjectivity, too, in stats. And uh, NHL.com is just taking it to another extreme right now.
0: So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Avs fans, I know that you you aren't fans of Travis Yost, but go read his takedown of the SAP uh, partnership with the NHL. Just go read it. It's legendary. He... I'd like to read I
2: haven't heard of that.
0: What'd you say? Well, I, have, I hadn't
2: heard of that. I'll have to go check that out.
0: It basically stipulates that um, SAP are either blatantly wrong or generating random numbers for NHL's uh, advanced stats.
2: I believe it. That's about the only way I can explain NHL.com and I would probably explain a lot of my use of other SAP products my professional career, but um, <laughs> their accounting software is ridiculous. But MLB Advanced Media is the top-of-the-line product. I mean, I come from a, you know, I really like baseball myself, my, you know, own private time, and their statistics are just so far past what the NHLs are, and I'm really looking forward to what they can contribute. I mean, just everything is tracked to a T on a computer. It's just inarguable.
1: Well, I do wonder how much of that is the fact that baseball is a little bit easier to quantify. There's a little bit less happening at any given moment than in a hockey game.
2: Yeah, explanation. Or, you know, the one comparison I can make is defensive matrix metrics in baseball. Uh, Those have kind of been the biggest development in recent years, and that's kind of where these computers have made their biggest contributions. And uh, you can pretty much track somebody from where they're standing to where they actually catch the ball in their mid. And turn that into a statistic. And that's really cool. I'd I'd like to be able to do that with a puck. Passing data. Passing
0: data. Oh, yes. Yes, please. Traffic data. Mm Mm-hmm. All of it. Useful possession data. Not just possession, useful possession. Right, mm-hmm. entering the zone with possession. Yes, automatically tracked zone entries and exits.
1: Oh, that would be so wonderful.
0: Neutral zone numbers. Oh, it's just there's so much analysis to come once we get access to this stuff. Please give us access to this stuff. I will pay for access to this stuff. Uh, uh, so many people would, and I, re- I really, I'm afraid that they're gonna black box it and just present numbers um, that we have to trust and hope are accurate.
1: Even though their track record says that that's not going to be something that we're going to want to do.
0: Yeah, even though they've got a record right now of of apparently being taken by... We don't really know what's happening behind the scenes here, but all right. (laughs) Sure. We've got our wish
2: list together, you know. We'll have to put it out there and be loud about it.
0: Yeah, we'll ask Santa for it for Christmas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dear Santa, give me good stats. (laughs)
0: And while you're at it, I'll, I'll take a uh, somebody other than Ben Street on the fourth line. Well, I would go for a pony, <laughs> but yeah, yeah,
1: someone other than Ben Street on the fourth line would be okay, too, I suppose.
0: Are you guys seeing contributions out of Ben Street that I'm not? Because so far, I've seen him get abused, him take penalties, and him not offer much.
2: Uh, the, the Grigorenko to Duchesne goal, the game-winning goal against Boston. He made the check against the boards. That's the one instance I'll give him credit for. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I haven't really noticed him all that much, um, except for when he does take stupid penalties. So he's, at least to me, not standing out.
2: Um, Right, and that fourth line's not getting a lot of time.
1: Yeah, I've been so concentrated on watching the, the magic that is Duchesne and McKinnon together that... Pretty much everything else has just been overshadowed in the recent games for me, but he's not really stood out in, in a good way. So um, the ABS did just make a new waiver claim. So I'm wondering if that means Ben Street's back to San Antonio.
0: Chris Wagner. Who the hell is Chris Wagner?
2: <clears throat> Apparently he's on or was previously on the Anaheim Ducks.
0: He has 20 NHL games. In those 20 NHL games, he has zero goals and zero assists. He doesn't play a lot. He's got an average ice time below 10 minutes. And uh, he gets deployed pretty defensively with not very good line mates. Um, It's still hard to excuse not even a single secondary assist in 20 NHL games. Um, But there's definitely some circumstances there. Um, my well, first thought and the first thought of a lot of people was did we just pick up Cleish on waivers 2.0 um, and judging by what we've heard from Anaheim fans I don't know that that's really the case he seems to be a lot more um, like active defensively um, and more a much more f- defensively aggressive player than Cleish than who just kind of waves at things
1: look the puck it's over there I see it yeah No more of that, please.
0: I think my stick can reach it. Oh, my stick couldn't reach it. Damn, that sucks. Now we're behind by three instead of two. Oh. I'm real sorry. I'm awful sorry. Yeah,
2: the reaction from Anaheim fans was a little strange for a guy that's had zero points in 20 NHL games. Uh, They were very vocal about having just lost a player for nothing that I think they had some hope for.
0: Do we know why he got waived in the first place? Like, is someone getting healthy for Anaheim? or
2: I am trying to figure that out. I mean, I got a quote from their, the SB managers. Chris. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. Apparently, Nate Thompson was injured. Okay. Um, I believe he's coming back. So, somebody else is filling that fourth line roll. We'll...
0: So, they were trying to send him to San Diego, and... Patrick W, Joe Sakik said, we'll we'll take him.
2: Which the abs do need a depth forward right now. They they do not have an NHL worthy depth forward. Uh they started last night without anybody on the bench. So
0: It says a few things. Um, it says that for sure. Um it says they're not real pleased with Ben Street either, because that's definitely the spot that he'll slot into once he's Actually, in the active roster, I don't expect him to play until Thursday at the earliest.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, It also tells me that Alex Tange is definitely out for a long while.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. He may be back, but not anytime soon. Because it's going to be a long time before Colorado could wave this guy themselves, having claimed them, Having claimed him.
1: Yeah. Isn't it, what is the waiver rule? Is it like a month before you can re-waive them?
0: I don't know what it is specifically, Ryan, Do you. I don't actually. It's a, uh, up. It, it, it's a long time. That's all I know. It's not, you can't like wave them. You can't pick up a guy off waivers and then send him to the minors. It doesn't work that way. Right. It, is, it takes a little while. So,
1: well, I, I know that um, Rampage fans are clamoring to get Street back. So,
0: um... Street's, a, Street's an awesome each Oh,
1: yeah. And, um, if he can go down and he can help that team win games and not have Mason Geertsen playing as forward, yes.
0: <laughs> yes. That, that hurt me so much when I read that. Uh.
1: Oh, well, you know, giving minutes is getting minutes. But, gosh, there is just such a log jam down there on D. It's wonderful. It's great. I'm not complaining. After seeing the Avs have nothing in the pipeline for so many years having too many of a good thing i'm not complaining
2: but redmond should be up here in denver he should be there's no way he should be taking minutes from any of those developing players yeah i like redmond's game enough now to where i trust him to at least fill in every 10th game from the bench
0: that was something we forgot to mention redmond's been called up he got called up like just a couple of hours after Cheryl did his interview with him, did her interview with him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: So like, where I'm as I'm doing the sound editing for that, which it was, that was a really difficult one to, to edit down just because of the quality. Um, I don't know what was up with their connection, but I was just like, some of these answers are just kind of troubling. And she goes, you know, I think that he knew he'd been called up and was trying not to say anything. <laughs> and I said, I'll that would it. explain quite a bit of it. Um, because it's just I like I don't know what I need to do to get back up. I'm gonna just you know work hard and try to do my best in whatever role they need me in, and then two hours later, well, he's been called up. So apparently, whatever he whatever he did, he didn't need need to do anymore because he's made it. He just needed to do an interview with us. Yeah, yeah. that's all he did. Yeah, yeah. it worked for yeah. Pickard.
2: Just need some finality in that situation. I don't know if I ever would have put him in San Antonio in the first place. I mean, I might be a bigger Zach Redmond fan than a lot of people, but he led Avalanche to Fessman last year in possession. And I think he would have been a decent fill-in for Barry when he was out for a few games in suspension. Um, I don't know. I'm glad he's up. I'm glad he's now the reserve option.
0: I just felt like he became a little bit redundant when the team picked up Gormley. Yep. Um, Yeah. Although I think I would personally rather see Gormley make Holden redundant, but... That's pie in the sky. That's, well,
1: I think that'll happen. I think as Gormley gets more opportunities that will inevitably arise when somebody gets hurt or suspended. So life Tyson Berry, for <laughs> example. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think he is going to get his shots. Uh, Wa doesn't trust young players right off the bat. He just doesn't. Uh, for better or worse, he really wants to develop them. He really wants to ease them in. He gives a lot of minutes and a lot of credence to veteran players who may or may not deserve it, but that's just how Wah rolls. I think it's the reason why somebody like Aginla um, and Cody McLeod got A's over guys like Johnson and Duchesne, um, and I think that's just part of who patrick Waugh is so as guys like gormley and grigorenko and even zadorov start working their way through the system and opportunities start coming like grigorenko's shot on the top line you know they'll work their way through the organization i'm not really worried about them um it is a little frustrating when we're looking at Nick Holden playing those minutes instead of someone like Gormley, but he has to earn them, and um, while I think that eventually he will, it just hasn't happened yet. So,
2: well, we uh, noticed that was not jerking Gormley around. You know, it's getting that's going on and off the bench right now. Yeah, I think Gormley's pretty much earned a spot for the foreseeable future.
1: He's definitely earned a spot, but it's not a a top four spot and, you know, argue among yourselves whether or not he deserves it yet. But, um, yeah, he's definitely earned a spot. Uh, Whether or not that spot, that role increases is going to be really interesting to watch throughout the year. Mm
0: -hmm. I'd like to see Redmond get in over Gannon on Tuesday. That'd be nice. Good luck with that. (laughs) That'd be real nice. Um so uh, just a little bit about Chris Wagner. He, um, he, I guess, like we said, he had 20 NHL games played uh, with no points. He had just under 30 in about 70 some games for the uh, for the AHL affiliate of Anaheim two years ago, Norfolk. Was it wasn't that right? Was not it Norfolk? Was that what we said? Yeah, I think it was. Admirals. Yeah, yeah, the Admirals, the Norfolk Admirals. And then the following year, he had the same number of points in half as many games. So there is clearly some growth there. He's a Colgate product just like fellow av jesse winchester and before that he played tier three junior a which is not real high quality developmental a little off the radar a little bit No,
1: that's like the uh the team that i watched up in bozeman that's yeah <laughs> i i'm very familiar with tier three
0: yeah if any of you guys know about the rocky mountain junior league that is the tier that he played junior a in that's the level. Yep. So good for him to make it to the NHL at all, and hopefully he can uh, he can come to this team and help shore up the back end of the forwards. So uh, I got one question today before we get into next week. This came from Patrick uh, Man of Tomorrow one on Twitter, who you should uh, you should follow if you like random quotes from superhero movies and TV shows. Um, We talked about this a little bit. Should or will Grigorenko stay on a higher line and get more minutes after Landeskog returns? I think we're all kind of in agreement that if it works on Tuesday, then he should. Right? Yep. Yep, I still agree with that.
1: Yeah, I think he's doing a good job to earn that spot, even in the eyes of Patrick Waugh. Um, If he keeps playing like he has been, there's no reason to limit his minutes again.
0: Yeah, the second part of that question is will, and that's where I kind of falter a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, there is a spot in the top six with Tange out. And it sounds like he is rather out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think Grigorenko has been given an opportunity to prove that he belongs there, and so far, he's proven that he belongs there. So, I think that Wah sometimes does weird things, but with Gregorenko, I I have a feeling that he's gonna stick around at least for a while. Um, in a top six line.
2: Yeah, to Wa's credit, when something works, he tends to stick with it until it doesn't. Uh, so I, I believe he'll give this at least a couple of games run, you know, but I I the problem with Gregorinko is that I don't know if we can judge him based on his production alone. I think we need to Judge him based on Duchesne and McKinnon's production. So let's see how well that line keeps going. You know, next couple of games, and let's reevaluate.
0: Yeah, because he was instrumental on both of McKinnon's goals. Um, both, you know, making a pass out of the faceoff, and then with the give and go up the ice on that uh, that little backhand. That <laughs> wow, holy crap! You know, the- Dude, those are <laughs> highly skilled
2: plays. Yeah. highly skilled. And that's the type of player we need playing on our top lines. With exactly, Dushane's and McKinnon's. And yeah. Lee haven't been we've been playing jack skilly and cody mcleod
0: <laughs> and i don't know if Grigorenko can have that same effect um if he if if, if wall puts landis Kog back on the top line and Grigorenko, pl- Grigorenko plays with sodeberg and againla um because they they those guys play a much different offensive style
2: right more straightforward more plotting uh you know i think landis Kog's a good fit on that line actually a really good fit so i'd like to see him land there after the suspension's over
1: I agree. I think that the reason why Landis Cog was with uh, Duchenne and McKinnon is Wa wanted somebody on that line who would go to the net, be in front of the net, do the net front things. um, And Landis Cog Usually at least somewhat fills that role, but Duchesne has actually been doing a pretty good job of that. He's not screening the goalie necessarily, but he's been driving and getting rebounds and doing that sort of thing. So that kind of frees up uh, McKinnon and whoever else is there to do more of the passing perimeter type game and I think Grigorenko given those offensive zone starts given the talent of the players he's with I think he's really feeding off of that in a way that Landis Cog doesn't necessarily do um, and I think that it's style wise a much better fit for him um, than anywhere else on the lineup and I think style wise it's probably a better fit for Duchesne and McKinnon than uh, Landis Cog even. So uh, either one is fine. I mean, as long as nine and 29 are playing together, fireworks will happen. Angels will sing. I I don't know. It's fun to watch. Uh, But I I would really like to see him stay there long term and see what happens. Because I think that second line, if they can still produce offensively, uh, their styles, at least mesh, a whole lot better. And it gives both lines... The first and second line, uh, an identity that they've lacked for a long time. There, there is a very clear style, very different style on each of those uh, sets, and I think that that gives Wa a lot of really interesting opportunities as a coach to deploy.
2: Totally agree. When Cog lands on that second line, that is definitely the defensive line. I mean, despite again, well, but.
0: Okay, so um, once Landis Gog suspension is over, then we're probably going to need to see either Ben Street or Andreas Martinson go back to San Antonio. Um, and I personally hope that it's Street because Martinson has looked pretty decent. Effective in small doses.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and he's a big body that hits and goes to net and does the things that Wah likes to see from you know somebody on each line i think that he's bringing more in the system right now than street is so my bet would be street gets to go back down score all the goals for san antonio and everybody will be happy
0: i just hope that's what happens because ben street's been awesome for the rampage and martinson really wasn't but martinson's been a lot better for the avalanche than street has
2: but that will leave an open center position for the Avalanche. Is Wagner ready for that yet?
0: He's going to have to be. I mean, we'd, we'd, I don't think you claim a guy to sit him in the press box for a month and then wave him. Right. So he's got to be. No choice. Yep. Ready. ready, set, Go. Well, we'll see if he uh, gets any starts next week. On Tuesday, Colorado take on the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are on a winning streak of their own right now, pending a game tonight, and then head back across the border to Pittsburgh, where they'll play the Penguins team that Evgeny Malkin says hates each other right now. So that's fun.
1: <laughs> that was a great quote, too. I saw that earlier today. Yeah, things are not going so well down there, I don't think.
0: Finally, on Saturday, Colorado are in the capitol for a game with the Washington capitals. And all of these are five mountain except the Leafs game, which is a 5:30 start. So, um, I have my reservations about this Toronto game on Tuesday. Because they've got several guys who are slumping and could break out at any time. Um, Pittsburgh, you know, the firepower that they bring. Washington are one of the legitimately the best teams in the league right now. So, this could be a tougher week overall than they had this week.
1: Well, I think it all depends on what Adams' team shows up. Because if the one that showed up in Montreal last night showed up, they can play with and or beat pretty much anyone. I mean, Montreal is not a slouch. Um, And you can argue that they did outplay the Avs, and the Avs got a little bit lucky, but, you know, for by and large, those teams traded chances, and the Avs just managed to capitalize on theirs, and goaltending bailed them out the rest of the way. I I think that that's something that could play out really well if they did it three more times this week, but if the beginning of the year Avs show up, if people aren't shooting, if they're you know staying away from the net if they're you know relying so much on their goaltender who knows with this team who knows they're completely ADD i i have no idea what team is going to show up from night to
0: night so
1: we will see hopefully they keep the streak rolling but
0: I'm way less optimistic than you about our chances of tra- if they trade chances with uh, Crosby and Malkin and Kessel and Ovechkin and Backstrom and all those guys. That'll be tough. That's yeah. gonna be
2: interesting too to see if uh, Barrett can play every one of these games. I mean, they're spread out pretty well. Was it Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday?
0: Yeah, it's it's as it's, it's a long road trip, but it's there's no back-to-backs. There's right. there's three days off. I mean, it's it's not bad.
2: Yeah, I, I would be interested to see if Pickard gets a start in here. And that would be interesting, having not played, you know, for many, many days in a row now for him. But I don't know if he has to.
0: One of the never-ending storylines on Sportsnet last night was that Red O'Bara is playing his fourth straight start, and he's never done that in the NHL. I heard that over and 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 Oh my God, shut up! Um, so I mean, I just said it to you again. We're going into uncharted territory with him here. Every game in a row that he starts is a new career high. Um, is there a better game to give Pickard than Tuesday in Toronto?
2: No, there is not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when your other options are, you know, sit in Malkin or Ovechkin, uh, mm, mm, yeah. Mm. I, I think that Kadri Lubel is a better option than...
0: Yeah.
2: Either that or you play it backwards. You know, you play your backup goalie against the better team, you know, and try to go for the win against, you know, a lowly Toronto squad. But that's the only way it happens.
0: Yeah. We'll see. I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, Barra may just play every game and continue goaltending the lights out, and we'll just keep wondering what the hell is in his breakfast. Yep. I'm
1: pretty sure that Space Jam happened and that he, like, I don't know, stole Varlamov's talent or something (laughs) weird is happening. (laughs) I'm not opposed to it. I'm a little weirded out. But it's okay. I'm
0: not opposed to Good Barra. I'm very opposed to Bad Varley. Yeah. Yeah. So, predictions. Last week, AJ predicted six points in a Montreal beatdown and somehow was like disnailed it. Um, we were going to try to get him on this week, but he is traveling. Um, just somewhere. Yeah. He's, he's busy doing other things. Um, so that leaves no one to gloat about a six point prediction being accurate, which is too <laughs> bad. I was very curious to hear what he was going to have to say about that. Um, so what do you guys think that next week we have a, any predictions for points?
2: Give me four points. One win, one loss, one overtime loss. That's three points. Three points.
1: You know, actually, that's kind of where I was leaning to. Um, A win, an OTL,
0: and one loss. Do you think they'll happen in that order? Because I think that'll happen in that order.
2: I do, too.
1: Possibly. Well, again, with this team, it... I can make predictions. I can say what I think is going to happen, but they don't show up against bad teams. They show up and play great against good teams. It, I, I, I don't even know. I I need the little shrug dude going on right now because
2: I well, don't they always know play how to Pittsburgh pretty tough. Team. You know they always play the Penguins pretty tough. I'm not sure what it is, but they're usually low scoring games, and
0: I don't know. I see that as the overtime game. I see that as being a 6 5 overtime game. Lots of scoring.
1: I could see that too. Well, but when I say, you know, hey, Avs in Pittsburgh, all I can think about is the Duchenne between the legs goal. That mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. thing that stands out in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then Malkin doing something nutso down on the other end of the ice yeah.
0: 10 seconds later. That, that game was crazy.
1: That, that game was absolute nutso sauce. Um so <laughs>
0: All right.
1: I mean um Pittsburgh definitely has the firepower, you know, they've got Crosby, Malkin, Kessel. Our goal scoring should not be a problem for them. And even though it is right now, that could turn around at the drop of a hat because this is hockey and that's what happens. So I, I hope that their slump continues for two more games. You know, if they could wait for the whole being good again thing to happen after the Avs come to town, that would be wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Because even if they show up and play great, the Avs could do so too. And the Avs have McKinnon and Duchesne, who are not exactly slouches either, especially the way they're playing at the moment. So...
0: I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. The most logical outcome is that uh, the the best chance to win is in Toronto. Maybe Toronto pulls out. Like maybe maybe they have a, a rough goaltending night and the goals continue to not come for them. Um. Or maybe they just continue to not be that good. You know, one or the other. Um, And then the Pittsburgh game is a blast and everyone has a good time and goes into overtime and then it's a coin toss from there. And then Washington has a field day.
1: And then OV, OVs all over the abs.
0: (laughs) OV, OVs everywhere.
2: (laughs) That just seems like the type of game where the abs give up three power play goals and, (laughs) you know, lose five to three on an open netter or something like that.
0: Yeah, I I can see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Which means that that is exactly what's not going to happen. So yep. I predicted it. So watch it not so, happen.
1: We're, we're probably going to lose in Toronto and win the other
0: two because reasons. Yeah, just <laughs> just ask Jesse Pinkman. Whatever you're expecting to happen, the exact reverse opposite is going to happen. Yeah. So any parting shots? Any late hits? I
2: think we covered mine.
0: Shout outs, call outs, anybody that you need to scream I just want to at. Thank you
2: guys for having me on finally, or me finally getting on. Uh, I was going
0: to say, I've been trying to get you on for two months.
2: Oh, it's been bad. I had a really terrible computer there for a while. Shouldn't be an issue cool.
0: anymore. <laughs> All right, well, we're happy to have you here, and you know that we've always, always happy to have Andy on as well. Yep, good as talking I to have you both. Fight through a yawn. Damn. <clears throat> All, All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, whatever the outcome of this road trip ends up being, you know that you can find out here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks to Ryan and Andy for joining us today. Um, you can always catch the newest abs news and updates at milehighhockey.com. You can follow the site on Facebook at facebook.com slash milehighhockey and twitter.com milehighhockey. You can follow the podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast or mixcloud.com slash milehighhockeypodcast where you can Listen to anything. You can only download from SoundCloud, though. Uh, follow us on iTunes. Rate, review, subscribe there. So whenever we have something new for your ear holes, then you get it automatically. If I happen to wait and remember things, so I don't remember things, so I assume you don't either. But next week, we'll see you then.
2: Go Go ads. See, I, I don't realize that out-of-towners never hear these stories. I mean, it's such like a tired conversation here.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. G.I.A., the, all the conspiracy theories.
2: He'd never I heard actually... the horse story. That's the best one.
1: Oh, the one where the horse fell on its maker?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the demon horse. Lucifer. Lucifer. <laughs> yes, that's its name. It, it is Lucifer. Oh, man. The evil blue horse. That's with wonderful. With demon eyes.